You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louis Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On today's episode, we are interviewing the amazing Paz as he drives across the United States. We learn a lot about how tennis is a gateway drug to law school. Yes. And law school is a gateway drug to the flying trapeze. We learn all about the uh, how to combine circus with hockey. <laughs> and why it's always appropriate to wear ice skates. Yeah. It's a cool interview with a fantastic performer. You're going to love it. Let's get to the interview with Paz. Let's do it. Today's guest is a talented circus performer with a number of different shows, including the Hockey Circus Show, the Major League Circus Show, and you may have seen him at the Moisture Festival under his aerial performance show, Equilibrium Circus. His performances have taken him to Asia, Australia, Central and North America, and the Caribbean. We welcome in the one and only Paz. Hey. All right, you might, thanks, guys. You're two of our first. Number one, you're the first person we've interviewed while in their car. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're also the first person that we've interviewed that only has like one name, like Cher or Bono <laughs> or Paz. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So where does uh, the name Paz come from? So uh, the name Paz, I'm, I'm actually quite proud of it because I, I literally earned it. Uh, my last name is Pazdernick. But prior to uh, doing my circus stuff, I played professional tennis. And when I was growing up as a kid, uh, I was really horrible at tennis. Uh, when I first started, my first coach actually told me I should find another sport, uh, that it just wasn't for me. Um, I managed to scrap some wins together. My big goal was to like make the junior high team. And he, at one point, he sat me down and he said, I don't care how many people you beat. I'm not putting you on the team. <laughs> um, so it really crushed me. But my mom got me some lessons. It was a big deal. And uh, the crew that I was training with, where my lessons were at this country club, were all uh, boys who were one year or two years older than me. And I was about 12 or 13 at the time. 
And of course, you know, boys, they take the piss out of each other. So I was this like wiry kid. They, they matured much faster than I, I was a late bloomer and they really liked the pecking order. They could beat me. I couldn't do anything about it, but I was getting better every day. I worked way harder than they did. And at a certain point, I got the opportunity to train with like the number one coach in Phoenix at the time who taught, taught mainly, mainly women. And, but it fit my game style. I was a baseliner and he had really great technique. So as I started playing, um, at this point, I had started to win matches here and there. And the coach said to me, I don't know how to tell you this, but when you come to me, I'm going to fix everything you do. And you're going to go back to losing like crazy. But for one year, and at the end of that one year, you'll start winning again. And he said, you just got to be patient with me. And I said, okay, fair enough. I'll try it. <laughs> That's and an interesting 14, sell. Yeah, but he was basically fixing all my technique. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could really use someone to fix my juggling technique for sure. So I look back on that and go, wow, that's amazing. You're going to go back to so doing anyway, horrible shows for one yeah, year. You're going to go back for one year. You're going to be wait, 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 wait. I didn't agree to that part. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I um, signed on. And the kids, I still trained with the other boys on the side. And they started calling me Spaz, Spazdernick. Ah. And it was spaz, 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 spaz. And a little bit was jealousy that they weren't training at the other location. Uh, but within the year, it didn't take a whole year. Within a very short period of time, I started beating them. And not beating them a little bit. I beat them badly. Like publicly, like mm. crushing them in tournaments. So you can't call the little scrawny kid who kills you in tournaments spaz. You call him Paz. <laughs> and... Yes. So my name shifted. I would have called you Spa. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. So I went from Spazdernick to uh, Paz because they couldn't call me Spaz anymore. You can't lose the Spaz, right? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, then when I started performing, the name stuck. Like, everyone remembered it way more than my normal name. So yeah, um, I stuck with it. Well, honestly, I've known you for quite some time, and I was even surprised you had a last name. <laughs> I thought it was just like <laughs> it's a weird running from the law situation. <laughs> yeah. right, so real quick, let's kind of bounce backwards. How do you describe what you do? Um, well, I, uh, I mean, jokingly, I tell people I do sports shows where I just take the piss out of people for 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> when I'm being more serious, um, I do a tribute to sports, uh, my hockey show or my baseball show that tries to get audiences involved. I try to bring all the best things about sports and combine them with all the coolest things about circus and all the cool interactive items of street performance. I think That's awesome. That encompasses what you do really well. Wait, is that the so you as we're talking to you, you're in the car and you're going to like a convention where, um, yeah. like fairs and festivals um convene and they uh sort of you know they look around at different acts and talent um to see if they want to bring them into their event and you're you, mm -hmm. you're there and you showcase and you you talk to the people is that is that the pitch that you would give them give me the pitch for to hire you at my festival well you know to be honest with you we're still struggling with that because no matter what we tell people about my show 
it seems to confuse them. <laughs> so I, it's, it's true. I, um, I basically tell people I'm a themed variety show. So instead of Bob the Juggler, this is literally what I tell people. Instead of Bob the Juggler, you get me who does a, sh a show that's a variety show, but every single item, every joke, every reference is set to a sports theme. And I get people involved like they're at a game. Yeah. But I do it through circus tricks. What from my research, it sort of looks like Equilibrium Circus is sort of the umbrella for everything yes. that you do. You know, you got your yeah. hockey show, uh, you got your uh, baseball show, you have a campfire show, you have the and Molly show, Molly show, you got the acrobatic show. Do you still do the mm -hmm. acrobatic aerial stuff or is it sort of transferred to just the sort of circle street show style? Um, I still do the hand to hand with Molly. Um, the feature style, Cirque du Soleil style, hand-to-hand -hand stuff. Um, we still do that. Uh, but as for the trapeze and the um, cordelisse, the aerial rope, I don't do that anymore. Honestly, I love trapeze more than anything I've ever done uh, circus-wise in the world. Um, but it just, gigs were a lot harder to come by than variety. Show. Maybe I wasn't as good at it as I was variety stuff. Mm. Uh, and the pay for the amount of effort and hours that went into it, the amount of abuse on my body just didn't equate. Yeah. Once I had a full show, I was rewarded a lot more for having a 45 minute show, I guess, than an eight minute show, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Now, real yeah. quick, you have all the theme shows. Why no tennis show? Yeah. What's up with the tennis show? So <laughs> tennis burnt you. <laughs> Everyone asked me that. No, um. So I kind of write in my head constantly shows. So I wrote a tennis show. It was actually, I wrote a tennis show right after the hockey show. Um, the reality was when I started doing hockey, something hit me that I didn't expect. I did the hockey show because I guess I didn't have the confidence or in my technical abilities to just go up and do a straight circus show. I didn't feel I had the, the variety of skill sets. Like I look at a lot of really technical jugglers um comedians uh, magic and i'm just so impressed with their skill sets and i said well i need a theme to kind of use as a crutch as a mm. backbone and also i needed a theme to guide me comically I, I just don't write well without i guess if i was writing on a show i'd be a filler i i wouldn't be good as like i could do big structure or filler i couldn't do like the in-between content like i like i like details so the theme helped me with that. Um, but right off the bat, I did my hockey show and I did it to just set myself apart from all the other shows. But right away, what happened is I got picked up by sports events. And I realized that the amount of money in the arts for what I was doing was very small in comparison to the amount of money that sports events had. Ah. Yeah. So now very quickly, my, I was used to getting almost a hundred percent. Well, I'd say 60 to 80% of my income from arts, the rest made up from like corporate and other things. And suddenly I shifted to 60 to 70% of my income was from sports, the sports market. And then the rest came from arts and other things. And that was a huge shift. So I was like, Oh, I got a tennis show. Like I wrote a tennis show in my head. And then I was like, 
but the tennis market is so much more sparse and spread out. And it's just not, there's not the events like you see mm-hmm. with other sports. I'm going through that right now. I'm in the middle of creating my football show. That's what I'm going into the training camp for uh, in December, my American football show. Because the amount of money in the football market is massive. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and I finally came up with some ideas that really motivated me. I've also written a snowboarding show. Um, I'm in the middle of writing a NASCAR show. Uh, I never touched basketball. Um, I don't know. A cricket. I started playing with a cricket. cricket. Show. <laughs> oh, my God. Into obscure sports like so a badminton show. Gonna do like... No badminton. <laughs> little tiddlywink the show. Cr- <laughs> Astro <Yeah>. Jacks. <laughs> Astro Jacks, there's a there's a reference from the past. The um the cricket stuff is so amazing. The props are so amazing to manipulate. Oh, like, I would so have been, fun. Yeah. So where where are you from originally? Because I always thought you were Canadian, but it sounds like you've spent a lot of time in Arizona and the states. Are you a dual citizen or proud Canadian? Uh, I'm a dual resident, a dual citizen. I was born in Los Angeles, California, Long Beach, California. Um, and then I moved to all over the world with my dad's job. And then I spent high school and my tennis training in Phoenix, Scottsdale, actually. Then I went to UCLA where I played tennis, uh, NCAA division one, all that stuff. Did you go on a tennis scholarship? No, no, I was a walk on. Okay. I was recruited to walk on. So like I knew I was going to play, right. Um, that was my dream school. Then I went to Loyola Law School, um, and then I started doing circus. And when I started doing circus, I started the Club Med route, did a couple years there, then got some job offers in Toronto, uh, opened my own company very quickly after being in Toronto, got 13 years of work permits in Canada with a bunch of different companies, and then finally got my citizenship in November of 2019, which oh, I'm wow. super proud of. Wow, weird. I like I've known you longer than that, and I always thought you were Canadian for some reason. Because he's nice. Yeah, I've been a he's nice and he's got like the the in the the flowy friendly voice. You know. Got my Canadian Bass Pro Shop shirt. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Now, okay, you just said a lot of things that we need to backtrack and talk about. Yeah, tell me about law school. (laughs) Um were you a walk-on at law school also? No, no, I was kind of like I got a scholarship. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I knew tennis was ending for me. I was totally content with it. Um, it was a great parting. Um, I wish all my breakups in life had been like that. Um, Do you remember and, your uh, record, your tennis record in college? No, thankfully. Man, we should, man, I wish we had that information. <laughs> it, it was, it was uh, probably too few to even count. I mean, the UCLA team to be in the top like traveling squad is ridiculous. Like all the guys who I went to school with either won grand slams or like broadcasters now or played for their Davis cup oh, team. Wow. So wow. I was, I was small beans for there. Um, but okay. still makes you pretty good. College <laughs> or a uh, law school. Tell us about that. So I, Yeah. So I knew my tennis career was over and I didn't want to get a real job. I knew that. Um, I was majoring law in school. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so classics was my major, ancient strategical military history and mythology stuff. And so I was like, I don't want to do any more of that. So I had this brilliant idea. I'll take the first test that comes. 
MCAT, LSAT, GMAT, GRE, whatever. And the LSAT was like, I don't know, like a month away. So I signed up for it. I scored super high on it and I checked the box, send me stuff. So people send me things to apply. And then I applied and um, I got in a bunch of places. I got in a bunch of great schools, eight of the 12 I applied to. And then I got scholarship offers. So I said, well, this keeps me from having to get a job. And then I went to law school. I loved my law school. I went to Loyola in Los Angeles. I was there during the OJ trials where like all the like, um, you know, attorneys were from and it went oh, yeah. uh, super well, but I realized it was not for me. So I like that you wait, went to law wait. school to avoid having a job. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's going to be less work law school. Well, you know what? Law school is where I found hockey because the first day of school, it was literally like the first week. I was like, this is easy. They say I have to study five to eight hours a day. This is nothing like compared to what I did for tennis. Oh. And I sat down and I was so used to being tired when I studied. I couldn't sit still. Mm. I mean, I think we can all relate to not being able to sit still sometimes. Right. Yep. And, and I was just like, I can't sit still. So I started playing hockey till I got tired and then started studying. And that's how I fell in love with hockey. Ah. Now, so how- without law school, I wouldn't have done hockey. <laughs> how long did you get law school before you're like, you know what? I'm going to be a circus artist. I'm going to drop out. One or did year. you get your law degree? No, I did one year. Oh, I was okay. towards the top of my class. I think I was like top five or 10% in my class. I was like, no, not for me. Mm. Yeah. I looked around. I mean, we've all been in this situation probably as artists. I was showing up every day in like a hockey jersey with shades on and my hat and like shorts and, and like beach songs and hung over, like smelling like whatever I drank the night before. And I'd kind of just sleek into my seat. And everyone around me was dressed like super nice and like, you know, and like really attentive. But I loved when the, when the Socratic method, when the professor would call on me and like kind of like go at me, you know, and like try to beat you. Like, I love that. I loved standing in front of the class and just taking my shot at the title, you know, um, <laughs> but so, not training <laughs> for that title. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did all my homework. Oh, okay. Every page that was assigned. Nice. I'm a workaholic. So I was like, this is great. But okay. I kind of realized I was going to end up with like, 2.4 kids, you know, a Porsche, a house, a dog, an ex-wife. And then I ended up being an artist where I ended up with an ex-wife, one kid, a dog, no Porsche, no house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hold on, Louie, let's play the game. What car is Paz driving? <laughs> Ooh. Now you got. I, I can see you've got a moonroof right there. There's so, a, so it's, some people call it a sunroof, but no, the moonroof calls bigger. it a moonroof. Oh, okay, gotcha. It's a moonroof. I'm going. Oh, wait, no, it's two sunroofs. Two sunroofs. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going some sort of like hatchback, outback type of thing. Oh, you're going Subaru. Ooh, yeah, something That's like way with, cooler than I am. I'm going. Um, let's see, because he likes sports. So he's got a whole lot of hockey gear for the whole team. I'm going, True, you go mini minivan. I'm going, yeah, like a what is it, like an Outland? No, uh, yeah, like a Dodge Spirit. 
You Dodge Spirit. That's what I had in the 90s. The Caravan. The Dodge Caravan. <laughs> Dodge Caravan. They don't make those anymore. <laughs> like, that's pretty close. I have the brand new Chrysler Pacifica. Yeah. Nice. Now, that was my next guess. That's my third guess as well. <laughs> All right. I so. Okay. Now tell our listeners, you know, about uh, Circus and Club Med because a lot of people don't know what Club Med is and that they have these sort of like circus facilities in them. So how did you get connected with that? And what is it? Um, so I went to Club Med to teach tennis. And uh, I did my first contract in Cancun. I did three months, partied way too hard, and was like, I'm done. And then I got offered, I was going back to law school, and they offered me uh, two weeks. I, I took Cancun as a break from law school after my first year. So I was like, I'm done. This isn't for me. It's like, too much partying, but glad I did it, you know? Um, and then they offered me two weeks in Turks and Caicos Island, which is where they have a flying trapeze circus program. Uh, but they offered me as a tennis instructor. And when I went, my dream was to get a dive certification and I caught a cold, so I couldn't do that. So instead I did some flying trapeze just to do something, you know, that I'd never done before challenging myself. And I fell in love with it. I read an interview that you had done that you said you're scared of height. I was. Not anymore. I was. I'm a big believer in just, like, suck it up, get it done. And I got the contract, and they sent me to this place, and I realized I was scared of heights. Um, I knew before a little bit. And there's two types of fear of heights, I find. You're either scared that something is going to fail or that you're going to fail. So, for instance, I'm scared when I'm on the edge of a cliff but I'm not scared to lean against the window, ah. right? Like I don't worry that the window's going to fail, but I do worry that I'll do something dumb, ah. right? Um, so what I did is right away, as soon as I got the contract, I knew that I was going to be asked to do like rigging and all this stuff. And I just said, I'm going to climb. You normally climb the ladder to go on the board of the flying trapeze. So it stands at 24 feet. Your head's at about 30 feet. Um, I said, you know what? I'm going to take the pole up every day. And I also wasn't very strong. I, I had tennis arms, right? I had strong legs and no arms. So I took the pole to the board every day. And I did it until I was no longer scared. Ah. And anytime there was anything up high, I was like, I volunteer. And I just like put myself in a position that I either had to embarrass myself by chickening out or getting it done. And I just did it every single day until it just became a non-issue for me. And I had confidence in myself. Were people like, what's the deal with the guy who works here taking all the reps on the flying trapeze? <laughs> well, we practice, right? <laughs> and that was a weird thing for me. At Club Med, you don't have much time to practice. I'm a practice guy. And, um, but I just, very early on in my Club Med thing, I, I loved it. I learned it. But I realized that I was living in the club med environment. I was tolerating the environment because I loved my job. Mm. And a lot of people tolerate their job to live in that environment. Ah. And so I was very early on looking for a way out to do what I loved in the real world. Mm. And then that's what took you to Toronto. Yes. And I got offered a position to teach flying trapeze with uh, main space circus arts, which was, if I'm not mistaken, the first recreational flying trapeze um, 
non-club med one in the world oh, where wow. like average people could just go. I know it was the first one in North America and that was with Marsha Kennington. And while I was there, one of the people I had worked at at club med had started a circus school and he was like, you want to join up and be partners. Uh, and so then I owned my own school and you see, I just kept getting hired on things. Wait, we didn't find know. that information. Where, where did you own, you owned your own circus school? Yeah. I've, I've co-owned my own circus school once and owned my own circus school another time. I owned us owned and operated a circus school in Telluride, Colorado for one season. Um, was it 2012 to 2013 winter? What happened with both and, of those? Well, in Telluride, I went there for another reason and the person who ran it. Uh, I'll tell you that story off the air sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, another gentleman started it and it wasn't for him and he left. And I really liked the guy who owned it. And he asked me to just like run it for him. So he didn't take a total loss. So I ran it for him, just hung out and tell your ride. It was following a, a a relatively difficult breakup for me. Mm. Um, that breakup basically like was the creation of my hockey show. Um, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for the breakup because it was with my partner who I was doing trapeze with and who I did the moisture festival with actually. Uh, and so I just tried to help the guy scavenge some money and I hung out. I mean, it's Telluride. Why not? Right. I got nothing yeah. else to do. It was winter. So nothing soothes had- the heart like bluegrass. Oh yeah. And I didn't know, but I had a season's pass. They didn't tell me until I was there like already a month. So I got to like ride every day and the school was like a hundred feet from the lift. So Oh, that's amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah. They gave me like a three, three story, two bedroom condo or four bedroom condo. It was mine, like to myself. That's like, amazing. amazing. So, yeah. So I'm curious about the hockey circus show. Uh, Buzzfeed referred to it as one of the 21 most Canadian things you'll ever see. Uh, you, you said one of the quotes is uh, Paz is to showmanship. What Sidney Crosby is to the National Hockey League. Um, what? Do you do the hockey show only in Canada or do you do it in the States also? Do you do it internationally? What Tell us about the hockey show. So I've done it in Europe, the U.S. and Canada. Um, Canada, I end up in a lot just because they call me early and book me early. Hmm. Like they, they know about it. I, I have a bit of a following. Um, thankfully, I've gotten some good TV time. I did five seasons of the Rogers Hometown Hockey Tour. Uh, which is, was kind of a big deal up there. And so, yeah, I just get called really early and they're like, we need you. So I come in. Now, um, I do my show in the States. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, sorry. Wait, oh, no worries. Uh, when you do the hockey show, is it normally outside or is it indoors, like in Canada? I prefer doing it outside. I do have an indoor version without fire, mm-hmm. but honestly – Everybody likes the fire. So, well, and I saw a video of you doing a, a hockey halftime show with like hockey sticks on fire on, on you're on the ice. Do you have to like have that conversation yeah. with the promoter yeah. that's like, oh, I promise you I won't drop and ruin the game and break Sidney Crosby's ankle on this melted ice? <laughs> so, the, the sticks actually, when they hit the ice, don't do anything. I mean, they, they add a little bit of a, like a black drop from the soot. But I always go pre-flood, so they flood the ice with the Zamboni after me, so the, the black drop or two disappears. Um, but thankfully, I don't drop very much, uh, contrary to what some people might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And in some of your videos uh, doing the hockey show, you're wearing ice skates. It's a cool setup. You got like a hockey goal and you do flaming sticks and you do hockey pucks and you do a bunch of really funny stuff. I, I love the interview thing, by the way. Very funny. Um, but oh, thanks. That's my you... favorite part. That's Molly's favorite part. Too. Oh, it's amazing. What tell it? Do you do the show in ice skates on like cement? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so I do my whole show in ice skates pretty much no matter what the surface. I took a little while getting used to, to be honest with you, this is the street performers are going to love this. The, uh, the reason I did that in the beginning was because I knew I was coming from a duo show and we didn't have a very good crowd build, but, you know, I had a, a pretty girl with me. And so we had a crowd build just in essence with that. Um, well, I didn't have a crowd build. So when I went to my solo show, so I thought if I were ice skating. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I did the duo show, right. So it was like, you know, two of two of you gather a crowd better than one. Yes. We had nice road cases. And, you know, like you pick up a few people to at least start your show. Yeah. So anyway, uh, when I switched over to doing my hockey show, I was like, I have no crowd build. So I have my net, which is my BMO, my big metal object to attract a few people. And in Canada, I was like, well, at least some people will stop because I have a hockey net. And the second thing was if I put on the ice skates, people are going to hate the sound so much that they're going to stop to see what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd be like, who's this idiot in ice skates? <laughs> Let's see what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> do you do like a little That's Mr. Rogers I segment where you're putting the ice skates on? and He's taking off an old pair of ice skates <laughs> and putting on a new pair. <laughs> I do that in the U.S. In the U.S., uh, I have a different version of my show because they don't get most of the jokes. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, because you do you do the baseball show in the U.S. Well, the yeah, which is this whole other weird thing. But turns out baseball is not the national sport; it's a national pastime. Yeah. So true baseball fans are pretty mellow. <laughs> <laughs> They're not like hockey fans who get really revved up. <laughs> no, have you ever made a show that you've like gotten to like gotten all the props, started doing, and it was just a clunker? You're like. And this, you know, paddle ball shows out. <laughs> um, have I ever made a show that I didn't? Uh, yes, I have a show that I haven't launched yet. It's um, so when we started doing Campfire Circus, which we still haven't done live yet, we realized that Molly's always booked with her shows and I'm always booked with mine. So to actually be in the same place at once was going to cost us money <laughs> and it was going to be difficult. You know, we didn't think that through, really, because um, it was a reboot of a show that I used to do, that we used to do together. We just took, like, the best bits and put it to a country west, took, like, a camping theme. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wrote a show called Finn the Fisherman, <laughs> where it's, if they need a camping theme, I can do it, like, camping theme, but I'm just doing, so I can do the whole show. I've got all the props. I just haven't done it yet. So who's high, who's needs a camping theme show? Like where who's calling and asking, Hey, do you do a camping theme show? Um, so what we do is we try to, if we find inspiration in something, we try to target markets that traditionally don't have entertainment. Mm. And um, 
I won't go into detail with it because like it, it's part of our, our company, like mm-hmm. our successful marketing, but we target places that there's money and they need entertainment, but they haven't figured it out yet. Ah. Like, uh, and like a we vault. realized for instance, like for instance, this one, you, this will ding in your head immediately. You guys both work a lot of fairs and stuff, and festivals. Uh, the number one music genre in the world for many years, I don't know if this year is the same, is country western. Okay? If you go to a fair, almost every single show you see that is not an agricultural show is set to 80s or pop music. Uh-huh. No one uses country. Yet you're in a country setting where they're good. They, I mean, look at all the mute people on the music list. 80% of them are country and no one was utilizing country music. Ah. So we create a campfire to cater to that crowd. And I mean, it's mainstream country. We're not going deep into it, but it's like, why aren't we playing to the crowd that's basically hiring us, right? Do you do in the campfire show, please tell me you do this trick where instead of putting out fire with a torch, you put out fire on a marshmallow that's around. You eat you eat fire around a marshmallow. Well, I don't eat fire, but I guess I guess I could. But that's interesting for other things. I'm not a fire eater, so oh, I don't okay. actually really like fire. I do it because people love it. I don't like fire. Oh, really? I find it a crutch. Well, I do find that interesting that um, you're really smart in the sense that you find sort of markets that need shows. You create an entire show for that to fit that specific market, and then you go and sell that show. Um, Louie and I just have one show. Yeah. So how do you remember all of all of these different shows? I mean, I would be stressed out if I haven't done like the baseball <laughs> show in six months. I would be yeah. freaked out about like if it remember the lines and the tricks and how it goes. Well, the nice thing about that is that I don't like I don't review the show that much. I try to not like if I have a key keynote like performance, then I'll go back and review it. But if not, if I'm just going like maybe I try to usually do a few street shows before I do an event maybe. Mm -hmm. And I actually love that. I don't remember it because when I go back, I go out there, I make mistakes and I find a lot of new stuff. I bet. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. I remember the old version now, but that thing I did today was so fun. Mm. Um, that's how the interview happened actually a little bit. I went off on a tangent cause I forgot something. And, um, then the interview became a big part of my hockey show. I'll just clarify to the people who are listening. He does a bit in his hockey show where he goes out in the audience, hands a guy a microphone, and then he acts as if the man or the person is interviewing him and has all these sort of cliche answers about the team, the game, the show. And it's amazing. It's a great bit. And, I have such thing, something I'm so proud of. Uh, so if you do Hockey Night in Canada, which is the like the hockey show, uh, they give you a towel. And the only way you can get the towel is to be interviewed. Uh, and it's the Hockey Night in Canada show. Um, Hometown Hockey did the same thing. Because uh, Hockey Night in Canada is on Saturday night. And it's a national coverage. Uh, it, it, for the people who don't know, Hockey Night in Canada is a Canadian institution, even for people who tend to not like hockey, where they would gather around the TV and watch all the Canadian teams play on a Saturday night. So it's like the it's Monday a huge night deal in of the U.S. 
Yeah, and I would say it has a larger permeation than that. I would say it's almost like uh, football on Thanksgiving or like the Rose Parade on uh, mm. on on New Year's or the Macy's Parade kind of thing is a big deal. Um, and every Saturday night, uh, well, hometown hockey became uh, a Sunday night. I wouldn't say staple, not as big, but they kept the thing that when they interviewed people, they gave them a towel. And being on the tour, they loved my interview, Sportsnet, which is like the Canadian ESPN kind of thing. They gave me towels. <laughs> so I have two towels. And when I do the interview, quite often, I'm using that towel. <laughs> and the only other way to get it is to be interviewed live on TV as a player. So uh, it's kind of like my prize prop. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think you have to have those things in the show too that whenever you pick it up it makes you smile you're just like <laughs> it just brings you joy exactly yeah yeah you totally have to geek out on your own stuff right <laughs> now how did you um, come to perform in the Moisture Festival so I was living in Vancouver and my partner and I had created a routine called Caliente um, which was a fast moving salsa trapeze number now, I had had a trapeze partner in my ex-wife who um, I had met in Toronto, uh, and we had worked trapeze for a long time, traveled around the world doing it. Um, and when I split with her, I happened to find eventually a new partner, and that's where Equilibrium Circus was born. It was born on Salt Spring Island, and uh, then I switched over to Vancouver. Um, we trained, we created this trapeze act, which was, I guess you would say the second generation of me doing trapeze and it was with a new partner and we were just looking for opportunities and, um, checkerboard guy, David Aiken, mm -hmm. he was a friend of ours. He was helping mentor us a little bit for what was to become our street show, uh, feats of fire. It has started out as great balls of balance. So he was just helping us, um, we didn't have fire, so it was Great Balls Balance. Uh, so we were doing this stuff and kind of like back and forth with David with help for our street show. And at one point he said, well, you should apply to the Moisture Festival with your other stuff because we did aerial stuff. And we were honestly just dabbling in street stuff. We weren't good at it. Um, it was a way to work when we weren't working. Personally, at the time, I didn't really like it that much. Uh, my heart was in doing trapeze, things like that. So he said, call Moisture Festival. And I got in touch with Kathy Sutherland, who I think does an amazing job. Uh, I don't know if she's still curating the yep, aerial stuff. Yep, she still yep. is. But so impressive how she, uh, out of all the festivals I've done, just, I mean, six stars out of five, she does, like, she gives people who are local amazing opportunities to be in the shows. Um, she brings in awesome for like international talent and then for us we were like you know across the border but kind of local and just the way she gives everybody a chance and she's really square up front with you and honest and we we went in and we did our thing and it was a mind-blowing experience that first year uh, I had no idea what I was getting myself into and for me looking back on it as now such a proud member of the variety community uh, I was working with all these legends and I had no idea. Like I was, I was like, I'm the trapeze guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in classic aerialists, sometimes not 
recognizing the talent fully of the people around them. I think that's a thing. I can say that I was an aerialist. Uh, we joke about that. And looking back now, I was like, whoa, you know, like I watched every show. I watched every act I could, but I wish I'd seen more. Mm -hmm. The only one that hit me was the only thing in my circus past that had struck me as that I wanted to do was the flying car of Mazda brothers. Ah. And when I went there, I had no idea that that was them. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't, in, yeah, totally. It was like, whoa. So one day Tim's wearing the jacket and I was like, oh, where'd you get the cool jacket? And everyone in the green room looks at me like, what's up with this dude? <laughs> the green guy. <laughs> and uh, so then Tim nicely explains to me, you know, in his dry sense of humor that uh, I, I am them. <laughs> and, or so was that guy, them. and so is that guy. <laughs> and those three other dudes. And those two other dudes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm just like. <laughs> well, yeah. And that that is yeah. really like, you know, that's even me striking being there. You know, Louie and I have been there a long time every year we're with these sort of iconic variety arts performers. And you're like, I'm on the show with that yep. person. That's crazy. Well, I think that's one of the cool things about yeah. these festivals is when you're a newer performer, you get to work with your heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the people who you don't realize are going to be heroes five years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when as, as Mike, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I mean like, that I didn't even realize those were going to be my heroes because I didn't realize how good they were at the time. Yeah. You know, like, like now I look back and I'm like, I would love to watch those people again. Like I would love to watch Michael Troutman's routines again. And, and you know, Niels was there and uh, Avner was there and, and just, you know, one after Avner I knew from before, but um, uh, Iman was there mm -hmm. just like one after another, you know, uh, yeah, Gazo. before I knew who Gazo was, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I yeah, I just the list goes on. Like, and then there's so many local performers who are insane who you don't really run into anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And you're just like, oh, they just do this every year, and you're like, wow, they're incredible. <laughs> um, is so if people want to find information about you, they can. There's a bunch of different sites, but all of them uh, can be linked to through the Equilibrium Circus dot com um you can find yeah. the hockey circus show the baseball show the farmer farmer's daughter show which is uh, i don't think molly's ever been to the moisture festival but you can find information on her through that also who she's a fantastic performer um yeah all your stuff is up there it's pretty great it's okay. yeah so uh anywhere else that people can find information about you no equilibrium circus.com that's the best place I just can't say enough uh, great thanks about the Moisture Festival. Just everything from housing to how they, they handle the artists backstage to uh, I, the only reason I haven't gone back is because I get booked on hockey events that overlap. Ah. Um, that's why I haven't applied. But now they have the Kraken. I got to go back. Yeah. Yeah. The Seattle Kraken, man. Find that's amazing. That was like a dream for me. Every time a U.S. Every time a U.S. city gets a hockey team, like an angel gets a team, they hear the bell. It's like, right? Yeah. No, we know we know you're driving in Texas and you're cutting out a little bit. So uh, we're going to let you go. 
but we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us on your drive to uh, Indianapolis. Yeah. It's good to see you. And uh, yeah, so, man. Thank you for having me. You were talking about first. This is my first time being interviewed for a podcast. Oh, nice. nice. So another first right there. <laughs> And uh, I really, I really appreciate it. Awesome, man. Well, we hope to see you uh, soon, if not at the Moisture Festival, then uh, down the road. Yep. And uh, we will send people to the sites and hopefully people can check out your show uh, here pretty soon, yep. wherever you're at. And safe travels. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Thank you for the, uh, all the swag for the, uh, from the Odd and Off oh, no. uh, podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you're a yeah. meme contest winner. Yeah, you are a meme contest winner. It All right, made buddy. me feel validated as a comedian. See you guys later. <laughs> Take care, Paz. <laughs> Bye. That's it for today, folks. Want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Offbeat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival site. They also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast and we hope to see you soon. See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast and stay moist.